0: In this talk today, I will speak about metta as an expression of friendliness, or friendship, and the resulting connection, or feeling of non-separation. And I will begin with a quote by the famous physicist Albert Einstein, who understood separation as an optical illusion. He had said, a human being is part of a whole, which we call the universe, a limited part in time and space. Human beings experience themselves, their thoughts and feelings as something separate from the rest in a kind of optical illusion of consciousness. In regard to metta, the Pali word metta goes back to the roots for the words of love and soft. The Pali word is meat. And it also goes back to the Pali word of mitta, which means true friend. So we can describe metta as the quality which softens the heart and mind. And it results in a benevolent, friendly disposition towards oneself and all living beings. And this friendly disposition is not based on self-interest. And as we know, metta is the strong and deep wish that all living beings be healthy, happy, and peaceful, that all their aspects of life be well. And this heartfelt wish then also manifests in appropriate actions of body in suitable speech. And these actions of body and speech, as a result, they are friendly, they are helpful, they are kind, supporting, or comforting. So metta, this Pali word, needs kind of different translations or different words that convey the meaning of what metta is. The most maybe usual translations are loving-kindness, friendliness, benevolence, or unconditional love. and metta as friendliness, there we have the word friend in friendliness. And as I said just now, one root for the word of metta, mitta, which means true friend. So what is a true friend? What does that mean? So in general we can say that friends are close to each other, they know each other very well, or they are deeply connected with each other, call them soulmates. Friends entrust their deepest deepest secrets to each other. Friends they also help each other enjoy and in sorrow, or they spend time together. Friendships enrich our life. They make our life a happy life. And I would say friendship is almost as indispensable as is food. A short look at history shows the importance of friendship. In ancient times, in Greek and Roman antiquity, friendship was considered something to be very important. And at that time, it was even considered to be an indispensable part of the political life. But as a restriction, this was only true for men. Men were able to have friends and to keep friendships. There was no talk of women. For example, Aristotle wrote that the mark of a friend was to do good. And that is why everyone needed friends. So then does this mean that women cannot do good? So as I said, in the patriarchal societies of the antiquity and also of the Middle Ages, but up to the modern age, friendship was exclusively a male domain. But of course, there were exceptions. For example, during the 12th century, in England, there was a Christian monk. He was the abbot of a monastery. His name was Elred von Rivol. Maybe my pronunciation is wrong. He was a monk in the Cistercian order. And he very clearly said in the 12th century that women and men were equal in the light of friendship. And as he said that during that time, that was contrary to the usual or general view. So he said, spiritual friendship was marked by equality and openness regardless of one's gender, regardless of one's position in hierarchy. Now, first of all, let's look at common friendships or worldly friendships. As I said, usually as friends, we feel close to the friend, we build up a connection that is based on mutual understanding. And often it is a connection on the heart level in the sense that sometimes one understands each other, even without words. And this friendly connectedness also creates an intimacy in which one entrusts things to one another that, would non, that one would not tell to other persons. So when one is connected to another person, one is not separated. The feeling of separation or distance or not belonging, this can be painful and it can even lead to psychic disorders to be lonely to be disconnected disconnected to be isolated is really hard to bear for people it's painful in dhamma terms what we call unpleasant or painful experiences, this is summed up by the word dukkha. Dukkha includes all forms of dissatisfaction, of distress, physical and mental pain. It includes unreliability. It's suffering. On the other hand, Pleasant, joyful, happy experiences, they lead to a state of sukha. And sukha includes all forms of happiness, of joy, contentment, peace. So when we feel connected, when we feel intimate and friendly with others then this is usually a pleasant experience so that this is usually sukha so in general we can say that feeling connected and friendship generates sukha whereas separation distance and lonely, loneliness usually create Dukkha. In order to experience a feeling of connection or friendship, we do not wait. We do not need to wait until it just happens by itself. We can contribute our share to it. And there are certain approaches which help establish a connection to other people, or to other living beings. For example, with the practice of generosity, when we give or offer something to somebody else, to another being, then we strengthen an already existing connection. And if there is not yet a connection to that person or a being, then we establish a new connection. Or another aspect is the practice of non-harming, harmlessness. With our decision not to harm, not to hurt any other person or living being, we establish a connection with them. And the connection becomes very obvious when, for example, we do not kill the mosquito that has landed on our arm, but we just gently brush it away. Or this connection becomes very obvious when we do not step on the worm um, on the path, but make a step to the side or indirectly a connection to others is established when, for example, we decide not to eat meat because then less animals need to be slaughtered. So with our decision to harmlessness, we show and manifest our benevolence for all living beings, wishing them to be happy and well another aspect by which we can establish a connection or strengthen a connection to others is through right speech in our effort to use right speech we show our willingness to contribute to harmony, contribute to happiness, joy, and peace, instead of sowing discontent, sorrow, suffering, or mistrust. Right speech promotes a feeling of connectedness and trust. On the other side, wrong and harmful speech divides. It creates distance, and it creates a feeling of separation. Another aspect is right action. So when our actions are based on ethical principles, like the precepts, this shows our benevolent and friendly attitude towards all living beings. And it also shows that we do not differentiate between us and others, because we deeply understand that we all want to be happy, and that we all do not want to suffer. And this is actually the fundamental connection of all living beings. So what becomes obvious in these different approaches of establishing connection or deepening a connection, this is that there is a relationship to others and that there is an interdependence of living beings. We as living beings are dependent on others, whether we like it or not. So we are in a more or less close relationship to each other. However, normally there are people we like, people we love, people we want to be close with. And then there are the people we do not like, people we do not love, people we hate, or the people we consider to be difficult, people we want to avoid. So the first category of people we call friends. The second we call enemies or disliked persons, difficult persons. And with the first category, the category of friends, we want to engage with. With the second category, the category of enemy, we do not want to engage. We do not want to deal with this kind of people. With the first category, the friends, we feel close and connected. However, with the second category, we feel distant or disconnected. As we have just seen, feeling connected with others and um, establishing a friendship with others, this creates sukha happiness. However, separation Distance that creates dukkha, suffering. Or to put it in other words, our longing for happiness and contentment, sukha. This is basically a longing for connectedness. It's a longing for a heartful warmth or a longing for friendship. <coughs> it's a longing for non separation. So, what we want to avoid and what we are afraid of is the feeling of separation or distance or non-connectedness. Now let's go to spiritual friendship. For the spiritual practice, friendships are of great importance as well. The Buddha said that having good friends is actually the entire spiritual life and not only half the spiritual life as Venerable Ananda had suggested. Because one day Venerable Ananda went to the Buddha and said and as I imagine he was quite confident in saying, Buddha isn't it so that friends and good companions are half the spiritual life." But then the Buddha said, "'Not so, Ananda. Good friends and good companions are the entire spiritual life.'" At another time, Venerable Sariputta went to the Buddha and said, "'Buddha, isn't it so that good friends and good companions are the entire spiritual life. And the Buddha praised him with the word saying, good, Sariputta, yes. Good friends, good companions, is the entire spiritual life. Now here, I think it would be interesting to know whether or not Venerable Sariputta had already known about the exchange between the Buddha and Venerable Ananda. <laughs> so this spiritual friendship, how did it look like at the time of the Buddha? In a discourse in the Majjhima the Buddha mentioned six qualities that facilitate a harmonious, respectful, and friendly coexistence. And these, I call them six heartwarming qualities. They are kind and friendly bodily actions, metta-based physical actions, kind and friendly speech, metta-based speech, kind and friendly thoughts, metta-based thoughts, then sharing what one has received. And we must understand that the nuns and the monks at the Buddha's time, they were completely dependent on what lay people would offer them but they would offer them in regard to food, clothing, dwelling, and medicine. And so for a harmonious living together, it was essential that the nuns and the monks would share with each other what they had received. Another of these heartwarming qualities is Virtue, virtuous conduct. And the last one that the Buddha mentioned is right view. So the right view of what leads to the end of suffering or the right view of what is in accordance to reality. So nowadays, what does spiritual friendship look nowadays? Well, basically, it's not different than it was at the time of the Buddha. Nowadays, meta-based action, speech, and thoughts are as important as at the time of the Buddha. And also, sharing and looking after each other are equally important qualities for a friendly coexistence, be it in a monastery, or be it in the homes and communities of lay people. Then the next point, virtue. We know that virtuous conduct is an indispensable foundation for any spiritual practice, whether as a monastic or as a lay practitioner. And the last point, the right view, usually first it develops through a theoretical engagement with the teaching of the Buddha, and then later through personal direct experience in practice. Based on my personal experience, I can confirm that spiritual friends are vital, very important. They encourage us to set out on this path, or they support us in both good and bad times. They can help us clarify our experiences or they can point out the dangers on the path. They may mention the temptations and distractions in the practice. At times, they may inspire or urge us to relax in our practice, or they may point out our weak points or encourage us to do the wholesome At another time, the Buddha spoke of noble friendship. That's in a discourse of the Anguttara Nikaya. He spoke of noble friendship because it is conducive and supportive for the spiritual practice. And the Buddha had said, if a monk, I would say a monk or nun, notices that another uh, monastic does not have good friends, he or she should encourage them to get good friends. Or if a monk or a nun notices that they have a good friend, they should praise them for having a good friend. I like this passage because here we see the educator in the Buddha. You know, he didn't say you must blame another monk or nun if they don't have a good friend. But he said, encourage them to have a good friend. And if they already have one, praise them. And now let's look at the metta-based friendship. Metta, as you all know, is this kind, friendly, loving attitude towards all beings. And this inner attitude is expressed with the wish that all beings be well, happy, peaceful, and so on. And as we know and have heard already, no conditions are attached to this wish. For this reason, metta is also translated as unconditional love or universal love. It is this kind of love that makes no demands. It is free from any kinds of expectations. And so this is the purity and the openness of a heart that is free from all forms of wanting or attachment, free from all forms of aversion or not wanting. So based on this kind, loving, open-hearted attitude, our actions, our speech, and our thoughts will not hurt or harm anybody. In other words, this means we do good and we refrain from doing bad, bad things. We refrain from harming or hurting others. And this is in accordance with a verse from the Dhammapada in which the Buddha gives a very short and succinct summary of his whole teaching. There it says, To do good, to refrain from evil, to purify one's heart and mind. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. If we have this kind and friendly loving attitude or connection to others, we really strive and work to act for their benefit. When the feeling of separation, disconnectedness falls away, it is only normal that we care for others, that we help others, that we support others. So this is the goal of the meta-practice, to pull down all the barriers that put beings into different categories to pull down all the prejudices and to really understand uh, to understand that all living beings seek happiness, contentment, a good life, and that no other being looks for uh, suffering or dissatisfaction. In this verse of the Dhammapada, the first line, to to do good. It's possible to do good. And the Buddha repeatedly stressed the fact that we can do good, that it is possible to do what is good and wholesome. In another discourse, of the Anguttara Nikaya, he had said, Abandon what is unwholesome. You can abandon what is unwholesome. If it were not possible, I would not say that you should do it. Then he said, You can do the wholesome. If it were not possible, I would not say that you should do it. So far in this talk, we have looked at the different forms of friendship and also looked at the nature of metta. Now I want to highlight two more things. First of all, metta, as friendliness, kindness, benevolence, and wisdom, they have to go hand in hand, always. The ultimate goal of the practice is the realization of things as they are, to uproot greed, hatred, delusion. And so... With that at the same time, this then manifests in a friendly and loving relationship with oneself, with others, and with everything that is surrounding us on this planet, in this universe. This is often illustrated with the simile of the bird. A bird needs two wings, to fly. Likewise, metta and wisdom are needed for complete liberation. Then the second thing I want to highlight is that metta, friendliness, loving-kindness, creates a very good foundation for the cultivation of insight and wisdom. And this is what Ayuragyarani has talked about yesterday in her talk. At one time, when the Buddha was living in Savati, he had said, practitioners, Dawn is the forerunner and precursor of the sunrise. In the same way, good friendship is the forerunner and precursor of the noble Eightfold Path for a practitioner. When a practitioner has a good friend, it is to be expected that she or he will develop and cultivate this noble Eightfold Path. And at another time, the Buddha said that good friendship is the forerunner and precursor for the cultivation of the seven factors of a light, of, enlightened, of awakening, sorry, the Bojangas. And so these quotes show again the principle of dependent origination or the universal law of cause and effect. So we are not only dependent on other people or on other living beings, but we are also dependent on external conditions. We are dependent on the causes we sow, and it is the causes that we sow with our actions, with our intentional actions of body, speech, and mind. And in dependence on these causes, our actions, and on external conditions, sooner or later, effect or results will take place, will manifest. So with the cultivation of good friendships and loving relationships with ourselves and others, we create a very good foundation for the cultivation and development of wholesome qualities. This means we cultivate the cause and condition, good friendship, metta, which in turn then have a positive influence or effect on the cultivation of the Noble Eightfold Path or the cultivation of the factors of awakening. But of course, there are always many different causes and conditions for the arising of something. It can never be reduced to only one cause and condition. As an example, for an apple to grow, many different causes and conditions are necessary. Among other things, we need an apple tree, which produces, then, an apple flower. And we need a bee, a bee that pollinates the flower. Then the weather must be suitable for the apple to grow. Uh, There should be no frost after uh, the pollination, and so on. But if all the necessary causes and conditions come together and have been present, then in the autumn we can pick a ripe apple. So in addition to wisdom, understanding, insight, metta is a quality that needs to be developed and strengthened. A bird needs two wings to fly. The innate nature of a pure heart is friendliness, benevolence, loving-kindness. One person who embodies this friendliness, benevolence, is the Dalai Lama. When meeting him and I, I uh, was very fortunate that I uh, uh, could meet him a couple of times in Dharamsala in India. So when meeting him, he makes one feel as if one were his best friend. There's no feeling of separation. And at one time, he said to a journalist, whomever I meet, I treat... Sorry. I try to treat him or her like an old friend. This makes me really happy. So apart from this quality of friendliness, loving kindness, metta is a wonderfully helpful quality that immensely supports and informs the cultivation of insight, wisdom. On the one hand, we become aware of the interconnectedness of all beings. And on the other hand, we realize that we are not only connected with other beings, but that we live in a dependent relationship with them. In this way, metta also helps understand dependent origination, specifically in relation to other living beings. Or dependent origination, cause and effect can also be understood in the following way. For example, when we observe how anger arises. You know, a certain situation, a certain event um, triggers anger to arise. This may be if the train is late or if we hear a negative comment of our boss. And so, anger arises. And when anger arises, I'm not happy. I don't feel content. But now, the anger can be replaced by metta, consciously. So that is, we consciously change the cause and condition. And so, then the result is, that the anger disappears, and what appears in the mind is a loving, benevolent attitude. And now, with Metta in my mind, I feel happy and content. Narayan Libenson is an American meditation teacher And she describes this dependent origination and interconnectedness in the following way. The practice of metta reminds us of our interconnectedness, which in turn further supports our metta practice. It is harder to nourish ill will toward that which isn't separate from us. The kind of love that the Buddha encouraged is not bound up with attachment. Letting go of attachment is not easy, but it means we practice offering metta unconditionally. Metta is love independent of conditions. So, friendship, having friends, or kindness, benevolence, metta, they all have a significance that may not be so obvious at first sight. But as we have seen, they are fundamental qualities or aspects that cannot be that cannot be missing on the way to complete liberation. They are a must. Without them, it's not possible. It's not complete. I want to close this talk with the words of Martin Luther King. And these words emphasize, again, the importance of a friendly, loving, and kind relationship with each other. We have learned to fly through the air like birds and to swim across the ocean like fishes, but not the simple art to live together like brothers and sisters. So may we all strengthen our friendliness and kindness for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. May we all contribute to harmony and peace in this world. Thank you for listening.